Welcome to the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. We're putting black girl magic in motion. This show is dedicated to reinventing wellness for women of color. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Hello, friends. We are jumping full speed ahead into the holiday season, which I can hardly believe. Uh, But I hope that this holiday season brings you lots of rest, relaxation, time with loved ones, and all that jazz, however you choose to celebrate. We are now a little over a month into the Balanced Black Girl podcast, which I can't believe how fast time has grown. Uh, But the reception to several of the episodes, especially the last two episodes we had, taking care of our mental health and igniting um, intersectional feminism, the response to those episodes has been incredible. Those topics, I think, really touched a nerve with a lot of you and got a lot of really great conversation going. And I am just so happy that they have because that's really the point of the show. That's the point of the platform is I want this to be a two-way conversation. So as you continue listening to the show, please make sure you share, share it with friends, share it with people that you think would like to hear it. Tag me on Instagram at balanceless or at Balance Black Girl Podcast so that I can see that you're listening to the show and personally thank you. Really just the community that has formed around this platform in the past month has been incredible and we're going to keep it going. So let's dive into our review of the week. It says, Les, I'm so happy for you and excited to watch your journey. It's really cool to see you be an unapologetic advocate for wellness from a woman of color perspective. This is so needed and we are right there with you, girl. Love seeing you shine. Thank you so much for this review. And this review was actually from Jess, who is one of the hosts of the Food Heaven podcast, which if you like the Balanced Black Girl podcast, definitely make sure you go give Food Heaven a listen. The two hosts of that podcast, Wendy and Jess, are just phenomenal. They're two women of color dietitians who share amazing nutrition information from a woman of color perspective. Um, I was actually a guest on their podcast recently on the last episode of their most recent season, but they have a ton of incredible content so thank you so much Jess for the review and if you have not yet listened to the Food Heaven podcast make sure you check it out and before we get into today's episode I also wanted to share one more fun little nugget with you We also have the Balanced Black Girl Weekly Editorial. So that is our newsletter that we come out with every Tuesday um, where we share wellness inspiration from around the web of content we're loving, inspiring articles. We have inspiring quotes, affirmations, recipes, workouts, guided meditation, just everything happening in the wellness space for women of color. We round it up and we send it to you in your inbox every Tuesday. So if you're interested, I would love to have you subscribe you can go to balanceblackgirl.com slash subscribe i will also have that linked in the show notes where you will get a copy of my free glow up guide which is an ebook i put together that has inspiring quotes it has my favorite journal prompts it has affirmations and it also has a bonus workout so if you subscribe you get the free glow up guide and then you get our weekly editorial in your inbox every tuesday All right, so without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. It is such a good one. I have a dear friend of mine, Abiola Akini, 
talking about her journey as a yoga instructor and as someone who really creates spaces for people of color in marginalized communities to practice yoga that otherwise wouldn't be accessible to them. She was an incredible guest to have on the show. She has had an incredibly powerful personal journey and is a wonderful, wonderful teacher and person to get to know. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, welcome back to the show. Today I'm joined by Aviala Akani. Aviala is the founder of Yoga by Biala and is the creator of the body positive fitness movement Trap Vinyasa. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she makes enlightenment accessible by providing approachable advice on spirituality, authentic guidance on emotional wellness, and actionable tips on creating a holistic business. And I am so happy to have her on the show today. Welcome on. Hey, y'all. I'm super happy to be here. Um, thank you so much for having me, Les, and congratulations on creating this incredible platform. I'm super happy to be on tonight and to get to some juicy some juicy info for y'all. Thank you. Oh, it's going to get juicy, and I'm so happy to have you on the show. When I had the idea to start the show, I had like a small handful of people that I reached out to immediately. You mm-hmm. were one of them where I was like, these are the must interviews. Yes. <laughs> the must have interviews that need to be on the show. Yes. That's so I'm so know. excited. Um, so I would love for our listeners, maybe if they don't know you yet, to get to know you a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I know that you have an incredibly powerful story. Um, I very rarely sit down with people and go, what's your story? Because that's a stupid question. But because you have such a good story, right? Um, I would love <laughs> to you know, for our audience to hear it. So to start off, can you share a little bit about your background and what brought you to your yoga practice? Definitely. Uh, it's such a long story, y'all, but it's a good story. It's not very, it's not a pretty story, but it's an honest story. Um, my family's originally from Nigeria, um, but I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, so I'm first generation um, Nigerian-American. Boop, boop. And... Uh, Growing up in Atlanta was really was really cool. I really loved it, and um, I loved the experience of being there. Although I did kind of grow up, or was more so born in a weird mind state. Like I, I was fairly a, very much a moody child growing up. If you look at my baby pictures, like I'm not really smiling. I look really angry, and um, I was just a really awkward, very moody, almost Mm -hmm. depressed child, very Mm -hmm. young, and it caused a lot of concern for my parents, so it was kind of like, what are we going to do with this one? My older sister was really bright Mm -hmm. and very gifted um, in terms of intelligence-wise. I mean, she could read through the thickest books in a day, and she was super incredible with math. Like, Mm -hmm. she just was an incredible student, and then my youngest sister at the time, was just super chirpy and bright and just like just the golden child you know and I was just this mid I was like the middle moody child that no one could really understand what was going on with internally and you know growing up I did suffer some sexual trauma when I was younger that kind of just exacerbated that and so when we moved to Washington State you know it just kind of compounded in terms of my depression, you know, I, I just was really bullied growing up when I moved here. Like, the bullying was really bad. Mm-hmm. You know, we moved to an area called Mokultio, which is, like, 
kind of by the water in Washington and all the schools there are majority white and I'm this Nigerian American girl coming in and I had my southern accent but I was always also African so I just was in this weird in-between area and it just made me the perfect breeding ground for like the most extreme bullying I mean spitting on like really bad and um, like there was a time where this group of white girls made this thing for me called a nigger bracelet and it had like a bell on it and it like had beads that said nigger and my name on it it was so bad like the school had to get involved and the school counselor it was super bad I mean like the bullying was really bad and so I just was super super incredibly insecure and I remember just would like praying every day before school just give let me have a good day like that would be my prayer let me have like a good day at school where no one like picks on me or bothers me and I can just move through kind of seamlessly kind of invisible you know and so fairly young I started experimenting with drugs obviously you know because I wanted something to get out of to take me out of my body to take me out of my mind to take me out of my trauma that I didn't really know how to process at the time and um you know by college like I really even my parents started to notice like my mom would hide like um, the NyQuil from me because I would always take it when I was younger and was drinking it like, you know, for sleep or for other things. And like, so she was always worried, like, what's going to happen with you? Like, you know, and so by the time I got to college or university, you know, I started utilizing a lot of prescription drugs, Oxycontin, Percocets, cocaine, a lot of cocaine. And these drugs were just for me, they gave me the confidence that I was looking for. So I was like, this is my answer. This is, I'm just going to keep doing this, you know? Like, it seemed like such a logical step. Like, oh, now I feel, like, confident and pretty and beautiful, you know, in comparison to all these white women or, or you know, women who have really long, beautiful hair. And at that time, like, I have dreadlocks now. My hair was always an issue for me. Because um, it's, you know, Nigerian is, like, super kinky and things like that. And Growing up, it was really awkward. Like, my mom cut off our hair, which is really typical in Nigerian cultures to do with the little girls. But it was also in an area where I was really still evolving, and so people thought I was a boy for a long time. And, you know, and then my mom gave me a jerry curl after that, me and my sister. It was horrible. And then we went through the braid stage and then perms, and it was just never knowing what to do with that. And so I always felt kind of awkward in my body, and I started to develop pretty quickly my mom is very hippie and so I started to get curves really quickly like around middle school when we when I first moved to Washington and I I kind of started to allow myself to fulfill that idea of the sexualized stereotype of the black women mm-hmm. you know because that was the one place that I could go where I could at least get some form of admiration so I, I did become like started to become promiscuous after college or during college when I graduated high school and I was using a lot and I just naturally started to end up in really interesting crowds you know and um at the time it was it was heavy like I was dating a lot of guys who were probably not involved in the best things at the time and putting myself in some pretty crazy situations that ended up leading to some more sexual trauma and some more sexual abuse and some more physical abuse in relationships. 
And throughout that whole time, I just, you know, was still using and things like that. But more so, my depression had become so heavy that it was hard for me to disown from it because, you know, no matter if it's negative or positive, if you, you know, once you start to culminate something, no matter if it's good or bad, quote unquote, um, it's like you owned it, you, you, you earned it. So you don't want to like let it go because it's the only thing that you've learned to identify with. So my depression was really hard to let go because it's like, this was the one thing that I could identify that I had earned, that I had created and compounded enough, you know, and so it was really hard to walk away from it. And, you know, all my using eventually got me hospitalized. It was a time where I actually like bought a bunch of drugs and drove to where my school was, my university was during the summer. My roommates and I were still renting our house over the summer, Mm -hmm. but no one was there Mm -hmm. for one month. And so I went and used all day and all night and was just crazy. I mean, it's just like I was walking around in a bathrobe, like just frantically around that house, drugs like littered all over the place getting in my car and driving to like see people and coming back home it was crazy mm-hmm. you know and then it, it just got really bad and I had to go to the hospital wow. early that morning and it wasn't like that wasn't enough for me you know you know I had to my rock bottom was finally getting to the place where I had like a small sliver of hope um and a small glimpse of seeing that I was actually, I was more than that. There was more to me and I had more to offer. And it was small. It was a small sliver, kind of like, um, you know, not you can be somebody, but you were made, you know, you're made to be somebody. You have so much to offer, you know, and I know you can't see her right now. But there was just such a glimmer of hope that let me see that. And I knew I was starting to get to the place where I was like, I really just don't want to depend on these things anymore because it had really become a dependence. And at the time, I was also very active still. And in, in the thing is, like, I was a f- functioning abuser of drugs, kind of like, You know, I wanted everyone to perceive me as that cool girl who's super relaxed and chill. You know, when I'd go to a party and I'd use in the bathroom and come out and just conversate with people and they'd be offer me a drink or offer me, you know, a smoke a blunt or something. I'd be like, no, I'm okay. And they'd be like, wow, she's so cool. You know, she doesn't need anything. And she's still so sociable and like really fun. Like I really was, I was such an amazing liar. I was a brilliant liar because I just literally constructed a whole person wow. and reality of to who I wanted people to believe I was to really control their perception of me because it kept me safe because I was always so used to being bullied. And so for me, it was like, this is like what I'm going to do to protect myself to make sure that I'm always going to be seen in a way where people favor me, mm-hmm. you know? And that got really exhausting. And and when that glimpse came, at the time, a friend of mine had recommended I try yoga. I had gotten into an accident earlier my freshman year that really revealed how significant my scoliosis had gotten. And so I wasn't able to be really as active as I wanted to be. And at the time, I was like 
playing women's rugby at my, my, at my university and I, I wasn't able to continue playing. And so my roommate suggested I try yoga and she knows I have a kind of a type A personality. Mm-hmm. And so I loved it. I went to a hot yoga, like a Bikram class, like 90 minutes and it was hot as fuck. <laughs> and like I sweat, sweat my whole weave out, sweat on my edges. <laughs> And I just loved it. I just loved the like. I loved the cardiovascular workout of it. It was completely purely physical for me, but it really quickly became something else. Like, it started to reacquaint me with discipline in a way that I just had no structure, no organization to my life at that time. You know, when you're, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of running all over the place to like live for the next moment or to the next moment where you can use again. You know, so. Like my life just had no order. Mm -hmm. And so it slowly started to create a discipline practice for me or just a a reacquaintance with discipline. And then from there, it just started to really make me really self-aware of what I actually believed about myself was, which was really disheartening at the time and was really rooted in tremendous Mm self-hate, like like extreme self-hate and extreme shame and extreme disgust of myself. Mm. Um, So it made sense what my external reality had produced. And there was never a practice that had, that could, or nothing that I had ever done that could make me, that helped me to become aware of that, you know? And um, then my relationship with Sovereign Spirit began from there. And it was um, was a personal relationship. And it was one where, from that point, I just never felt by myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I always felt guided, always felt held and comforted. And it slowly didn't start out that way, but it grew. And, you know, the practice just evolved. And I practiced, you know, consistently for seven years before I ever became a teacher mm-hmm. with the desire with I never had the desire to be a teacher yeah. my my yoga practice was really a journey of healing for me of tremendous healing mm-hmm. and um I never ever thought I was going to be a teacher like I wanted to work in fashion mm-hmm. honestly like you when used I, to be a fashion blogger Did yeah you have a fashion blog? I was a fashion blogger in Seattle and I was really like one of the first fashion bloggers yeah. who really took off in Seattle and was like in all the major newspapers and got an internship working under Laura Cassidy who was at the time she was the fashion editor for Seattle Met Magazine and I was doing all of their fashion events and just was like smooching with all the right <laughs> people had they they didn't know that I was like you know snorting coke most of the time but you know Shit happens. But yeah, like I really wanted to work in, I wanted to work in fashion. And so my yoga practice was mine. It was really personal. And then around year seven, I started to like, you know, they always broadcast teacher trainings, you know, because it's like their moneymaker. But I would never hear a teacher training. with that. It just like went through one ear and out the other, you know, because I was like, mm-hmm teacher training mm-hmm. and then around year seven like it finally it started to like sit settle and resonate with me and I was just like you know in my meditation I was like sovereign spirit if this is something that you want me to do this is something that I will do you mm-hmm. know and at the time I was kind of like I was working um, where was I working at that time oh at the time I was working at Zulily as a fashion marketing copywriter mm-hmm. so that was like my first fashion gig and I hated it mm-hmm. I fucking 
hated it. My body just hated sitting for long periods of time. I was so used to moving and just being really active. And so it just didn't settle well with my body. Mm. And um, I was doing my teacher training at the time. At the time I was there, though, and, you know, once I finished, I was just like, man, like, I'm super excited. I was just so excited. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no direction, really. Um, But I knew that I wanted to share the healing that I had, that the practice had activated in those seven years. I knew, like, and I was super giddy and excited to do it, Mm -hmm. um, to just begin to share bits and pieces of that with people. And that's when, you know, I started, I taught my first yoga retreat one month after getting my teacher, my first teacher, 200-hour training, because oh I have gosh. a few. Yeah. And um, it was from my my friend, my my college friend, who is phenomenal. She's um, a self-love coach. And she was like, this will be my first time doing this retreat. This will be your first time teaching. <laughs> like, it could be our first together. It yeah. was a beautiful retreat in Kauai. Yeah. And I was, I was quivering the whole time trying to teach <laughs> every single day. Yeah. But I got through it, and when I got back, I was like, ah, "This is, this is my calling," yeah. you know. And that's how I got here. That is amazing. <laughs> that's literally incredible. What started as a very physical practice became so much more. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. And so I would love if you talk to us a little bit about how you even took it a step further, because there are a lot of fitness instructors, a lot of yoga instructors who maybe just teach at mm-hmm. studios and that's it, which is great. Um, but you also created a business and yes. you have also created your own formats like Trap yes. Vinyasa. Mm-hmm. So what inspired you to then take it to that next step and to really make it your own? Man. Well, so basically... By the time I, when I take that, took that or taught that retreat and I came back, I was like, fuck, I need to get out of this fucking job, man. Mm-hmm. I was just, I hated it. Mm-hmm. I loathed it so much. Yeah. More so my body yeah. loathed it. Just sitting and typing and writing, mm-hmm. I developed such bad muscular sci- sciatica, like, mm-hmm. where I couldn't sit, like, sit on my glutes for, like, a certain, like, I could only sit for about 20 35 minutes at a time mm-hmm. then I have to get up and stretch because the, it just shoot down my leg and my scoliosis got really exacerbated because I was not practicing as much yeah. and I kept started getting like this really bad like my eyes would swell and we went to the doctor we would we didn't know what was happening and my body's very intuitive like it, it, if something's off if something like an, an alignment is off in me it'll sh- it'll my body will react yeah. it'll be like a It'll, something in my my physical form will yeah. react like a health concern somewhere mm-hmm. really quickly, mm-hmm. you know. And so when I got back, I knew I needed to leave. And honestly, like I was on a probationary period because I just started not giving a fuck. And I had been there for like two years. And like, you know, then I got off the probationary period and I was doing well again. And I was like, fuck, do I really want to like, and I was like, no, let's just quit. And so I put in my two weeks, my two weeks notice. Mm-hmm. My idea was that I was going to do corporate yoga to, to like, help pay the bills and things like that. Yeah. And at the same time, like, there were programs and things, programs, quote-unquote, that I had written out for myself. Mm-hmm. Like, the Divine Feminine 
was just basically my process that I had developed on myself yeah. at the time because I started to realize like another area of healing became um, I became aware of when I was really actively wanting to be receptive and I couldn't be receptive in my body like yeah. in relationships I was always hard mm. I was pushing people away I was really aggressive mm. and um, couldn't be receptive like mm. I was really resistant and I remember at the time the partner that I had we would talk about it and I saw different variations of how I had done the same thing in past relationships and mm -hmm. I was trying really, really hard to change it and I couldn't. Yeah. And so I really started to dive into the Divine Feminine, learning about it, um, the history behind the Divine Feminine and Tantric studies and how they wove with that and the archetypes of the Divine Feminine and mm -hmm. connotating those into my chakras mm -hmm. and learning about where I was constricted and then yeah. learning where my trauma was mm -hmm. and what did it, what area it kind of correlated to and how that archetype was constricted and how one, one was more over-exaggerated, mm -hmm. like my, you know, like my lover chakra, which is, you know, kind of takes more to like sexuality. Yeah. I was so used to using that. Mm -hmm. The other areas, the other archetypes were super constricted. And yeah. so I just wasn't receptive in those other areas, other areas. And so I literally just started to guide myself through my own healing practices for that. And that's where the divine feminine came from. Mm -hmm. And it just felt really natural for me from there, you know, once I left to no, no one was really doing it at the time. And I, I think that's so interesting because it just felt really natural for me. Like yeah. I knew that I wanted to create spaces where I could talk about my healing mm -hmm. process, where I could create space for like, traumas to be discussed, decoded, and, and, and transmuted or alchemized. Yeah. Because when I started teaching, I was super excited and I started trying to do that. And I realized really quickly that a lot of the studios didn't have really people that represented me or that I felt like I represented or yeah. um, who's, who really wanted to go into the story of healing from trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, and they wanted to get their yoga and they wanted to leave. And it got really boring for me really quickly. Yeah. And so, you know, at that time, you know, I also started practicing a lot more at home. Mm -hmm. And my practice went from being super militant with Bikram for four years with a lot of structure to slowly moving into vinyasa with more creation and more creativity to a hatha practice to it changing to going more to a home practice for mm. me where i really wanted to start to acquaint more with sensuality yeah. and self-expression in my practice because the practice helped me to no longer identify as a sexualized as a sexualized body, but as a sensual being, have mm -hmm. a sensory, having a sensory experience. Mm -hmm. So I literally started practicing at home to like R&B yeah. and like Nigeria beats and stuff, and mm -hmm. like Nigerian music that I had grown up with, or the new age Nigerian music, and then trap music as well, because mm -hmm. that's like a huge part of growing up in Atlanta, you know, and like my cousins in Atlanta, some of them were dancers, and so I, I just learned how to move from them. Mm -hmm. They would always teach me how to move and dance, and so I just started to add all of these different elements yeah. of movement um, into my yoga practice, and that's how Trap Minyasa came. You know, and from there, I just 
started renting out spaces Mm -hmm. that were non-yoga spaces Mm -hmm. because I knew that I wanted to really create inclusive community for how to alchemize trauma and spaces to talk about yoga and the the practice of yoga in a way that wasn't stuck in like old history, Mm -hmm. but bring it present day and modern where people can heal beyond just asana. Mm -hmm. And so I just rented out, you know, Capoeira studios, I rented out community centers, Mm -hmm. just places that didn't feel like exclusive, like a yoga studio. And that's what I did for the Divine Feminine Mm -hmm. yoga workshop. And that's what I did for Trap Vinyasa. Mm -hmm. And they both just continued to expand on their own. And they were just basically practices that I had just started to do on myself Mm -hmm. to really find more self-expression and more healing in my practice and in my physical body, but also my emotional body. And and from there, they've grown. You know, Trap Vinyasa has grown into this incredible practice with four set series that are really focused on the elements um, of hip-hop mm-hmm. and how to utilize hip-hop and asana mm-hmm. to rewrite the story you've been told about your body with yeah. the understanding that hip-hop artists are modern-day alchemists, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, transmuting, that. yeah, transmuting their trauma into yeah. an ascension point, yeah. but that we have the same opportunity as living souls having a human experience. We have that same right. Mm-hmm. Um, giving, and so Trapanyasa teaches you to, how to have those tools, but also how to begin to find sensuality in your body and identify yeah. as a sensory, sensual vessel, yeah. you know, as opposed to the sexualized body, mm-hmm. so you can learn where the uh, the resistance is yeah. so you can open it up and be more receptive in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, so it's a beautiful practice that guides you through that. It's way more than twerking. And then the <laughs> Divine Feminine series has really grown as well, yeah. you know. And, um, yeah, so I'm just excited to continue to expand all of these offerings yeah. into into something more for you guys. Absolutely. Bring it to more people. Yes. And I love that it's rooted in inclusivity. Mm-hmm. That's so important. Yeah. And a while back, you wrote a really great article, I think for Seattle Yoga News, but mm-hmm. I found it on your blog, about your experiences as a Nigerian-American woman in a very white yoga industry. Right. Um, and I'll definitely link it in the show notes so our listeners can go read it for themselves. But I would love if you can kind of walk us through some of those experiences you've had as a woman of color working in kind of a very, at least in America, something that is kind of a very white space. Yeah. I mean, it's super... I was going to say awkward. It's interesting, mm-hmm. you know, because when I first got my my first teacher training a few years ago, it was just like, it was super awkward. Let me just be honest. It was very awkward. Be honest. You know, it was just like, um, I was always the only black teacher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had students, you know, who'd walk out sometimes. Mm-hmm. I did have a student walk out a few times. Really? Um, if they saw that I was teaching and I was subbing for someone, they would just walk out. And and then also, it's like you have to prove yourself twice as much. Yeah. So I remember just trying, not even trying, like really studying, learning everything I could, you know, to just be not only an incredible teacher, but also just to really prove, like having to prove that I was a good teacher. Mm-hmm. Like people would be so surprised after mm-hmm. They look so baffled, like, wow, you know, you actually did a really good job, you know, like, 
it was it was really it was really awkward and I don't and the thing is they're so self they're so it's so ingrained that they didn't yeah. wouldn't know that mm-hmm. they were holding me to that standard like yeah. well let's see if this person really knows anything you know like and they do the same thing with teachers who are bigger body mm-hmm. you know like who are plus size teachers it's like can you really give me anything it's like um, the the bar is like set so like so low because mm-hmm. my skin you know. Mm-hmm. And that would be really, that was the biggest thing that really frustrated me. And, you know, when those people would walk out, that was, it was difficult. Yeah. And also, when, then when I started doing Trap Vinyasa and it started to grow and I started to do the studio pop-up tours and I would reach out to different studios, it was, it's really interesting because mm-hmm. I, I ended up getting an intern who was white after. Mm-hmm. And um, when I would try certain studios... I would get no receptivity. And it's interesting because she would try those same studios yeah. and she would get so much receptivity. Wow. And that blew and continues to blow my mind, yeah. you know. Um, and that was really frustrating. It's been difficult trying to wrap my mind around that. Um, and then it's awkward when you, I think one of the main things because I was always so rooted in my own practice, I never noticed when I was a student, but I noticed when I became a teacher mm. who was coming into the room and, yeah. and who was not, you know? Yeah. And I remember there was a one time um, I got an opportunity to teach a really special class for Girl Trek, which is like a women's organization. Mm-hmm. And everyone in the room was black. And I remember there being such a resonance that I have never experienced. I've never had the opportunity to teach or practice in a room of all people of color. Yeah. And I remember there being such a resonance and a rest mm. that I had never experienced. Yes. And it just made such a dis- it was such a distinct feeling, very different from where where I would practice or where I would teach. Mm-hmm. And so it got it started to it started to get really annoying teaching to only white people you know it started to take the the, like it was just like a gap that created between myself and them and the practice you know because no one was really wanting to relate to me or to relate to where I was coming from people just wanted to get in and get their practice and then also I was craving the connectivity that comes from inclusive spaces like I recently, you know, started hosting a race, wellness, and receptivity seminar with different organizations. And one of the things I was saying, the reason why inclusivity is is so important in the wellness space is because we all have the right to healing. Mm. You know, no matter our race, our age, our gender, our color. Yeah. You know? That's good. And if we continue to only show wellness for a certain group of people mm-hmm. then we are cutting off the opportunity for other those other people to receive their healing which is yes. not even it's like a not even a human right it's a divine right mm. you know and so the more i kept seeing that it was harder and harder for me to support because those students weren't really holding space for me yeah as a teacher as a brown mm-hmm. teacher they they didn't really know how yeah. you know and i knew that if i was going to give if this was going to be what I did, I wanted I wanted to hold space, and I also wanted those people to hold space for me. Yeah. Because everyone deserves that healing, and mm-hmm. so it just started to feel fake. Mm. 
for me. It yeah. just wasn't a real perspective, you know? And so I diligently made the decision to create those spaces. Mm-hmm. If I can't find them, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go create them, mm-hmm. you know? You know, and at this point in time, I still get it when I teach a class, you know, and for a long time it was really frustrating in the beginning and to grow my classes. Yeah. I, I still have trouble, like, I don't do a lot of studio classes anymore for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just harder to grow a class when you are a teacher of color at a studio yeah. because the teachers are majority white and so are the students. And they kind of want to go with what what they can relate to Mm -hmm. and what feels comfortable for them or safe for them because I I feel like not safe or something Mm -hmm. or you know so they go there Mm -hmm. and I you know in several years you know studios would be like keep trying and just stay with us and like no like your students don't fuck with me you know like and I think studios started to really see it like Mm -hmm. you know our the teachers of color that when they started to bring them in slowly because there's now this awareness that's starting to crop up in the seattle yoga scene which a lot of studios are making that but they started to notice like the trend of like the black teachers their Mm -hmm. classes were going a lot growing super slow Mm -hmm. in comparison to the white teachers because they just want to keep going and you know those a lot of the studios their 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 market is like older white people so they have such old Mm -hmm. beliefs you know and so they don't want to come to my class (laughs) and i was like you know i was like fuck it that's fine and so I stopped (laughs) trying to cater to the studios yeah that's one of the reasons I left I mean I only teach at two studios now Mm -hmm. traditional classes and then I just host my own workshops you know Mm -hmm. it's just like because that was being that was getting so frustrating yeah I have to I, I have to compete against the white teachers and then I have to try so much harder to hold the attention of the students the white students that come yeah and I have to water myself down mm. as well to appeal to them. And that's the worst part. Yeah. Yeah. And so it just got really tiring. Yeah. Yeah. But that's amazing that you have since then created your own spaces that are more inclusive and mm-hmm. that hopefully can get more people of color interested in yoga and wanting to do yoga. Because if you felt that way as a teacher, then plenty of people who probably Feel wanted to be too. students felt that way as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we continue to get what I love about the Divine Feminine Yoga Workshop and Trap Vinyasa is we get so many students who are people of color who have never practiced yoga before. Mm-hmm. I get so many new yogis, yeah. like just their first time practicing, and mm-hmm. it's just phenomenal to see them grow and from taking one class and then their interest is suddenly struck. They're like, this resonated with me, mm-hmm. you know? And then just going on that journey with them as they continue their yoga practice. Like, I feel so privileged, Mm -hmm. you know? And so to create space for that is super important because if, had I not, then those, I don't know when that journey would have started for them, you know? So it's super important. Absolutely. Along those same lines, I mean, why do you think it is so important for people of color to practice yoga and 
you know, we talked about some of the obstacles around maybe walking into a studio and feeling really uncomfortable if you don't have a teacher or fellow students that look like you. What are maybe mm-hmm. some of the other obstacles that might be getting in the way of preventing more people of color from practicing yoga? Honestly, it's the socioeconomic and, like, and the, the inequities within the system. Like, mm-hmm. communities of color, people of color are naturally uh, just less, what is the word? When it comes to healthcare, they just, they're disproportionately, I wouldn't say ignored, but underrepresented, Mm -hmm. under under cared for is the word. I don't know. There's Um, a lot of data. Yeah, there's so much data behind that, and it's just systematic. Mm -hmm. And um, and then also with wellness, too. Mm -hmm. And so those resources are not brought to their attention. They're they're kind of cut off when it comes to that, access to that information. Mm Or they're the the trickle down is the last one to get to, like they're the last one to get it to 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 be aware of that or made aware of it, and so it's just so systematized. It's so like it's so it's just ingrained in the system and the government and those those inequities are just it's 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 really horrible and also the just what we see in terms of like the lack of representation of brown people in the wellness and health arenas Mm -hmm. make you know it's just it's like it's 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 only for like a privileged white group like it's as if that's not for us yeah it's like like, wellness isn't for us yeah and so it's super frustrating when you have these wellness brands Mm -hmm. and we see the new wave with wellness coming and it just is not it needs to be it, it has to change because Because everyone has access, or everyone deserves their healing. Yes. It's their divine right. And this idea that it's not for us, because they, they keep perpetuating the stereotype, stereotypical vision of white wellness, mm-hmm. it's got to stop, mm-hmm. you know? Because our community suffers for it. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And that's a huge thing, you know? And then also coming the other way, because of like things like the Willie Lynch letter and mm-hmm. slavery and just you generational know, trauma, generational trauma, and systematic racism, mm-hmm. you know, then black families aren't aware of wellness. Mm-hmm. And so they don't know how to educate their stu- their children on wellness. So yeah. it's like it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. It's like a fucking double edged sword, you know. And so those things all kind of dissuade us. I know there was a time like. I do get asked sometimes, like, about yoga, people being apprehensive of yoga because they think it's a religious practice mm-hmm. or or things like that. And I just try to educate people that it's not a rig- religious practice. You know, it can be spiritual if you want it to be, mm-hmm. but let it meet you where you're at mm-hmm. and let it grow and evolve to what you need it to be, yeah. you know, based on where you're at. And I think it's super important for us to, as people of color, to begin to have spaces mm-hmm. where we can drop into our emotional bodies mm-hmm. in a space where we feel safe yeah. and um, a space that a brave and a safe space where we can drop into our bodies and begin to become aware of the trauma that we have, mm-hmm. whether it be generational or from other areas mm-hmm. and so that we can begin to alchemize it. Yeah. 
And that's why those healing spaces are so necessary because as soon as you can become aware, then you can do something about mm-hmm. it. But the, if the awareness isn't there, then you can't do anything. Yep. And so it's not fair how the wellness industry is almost like keeping us in the dark on purpose. Absolutely. Um, so that's why I'm super committed to creating spaces where communities of color can become aware, mm-hmm. you know, and from there begin to heal themselves, Yes. you know, because we, we're a powerful community. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows we're a powerful community. I mean, mm-hmm. our reign is pretty deep, you mm-hmm. know. It's pretty strong. Imagine how powerful we'd be with proper healing. Yeah. Our influence is so great. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's super important for communities of color, natives, African-Americans, Latin Americans, you know, whatever you identify, to to travel onto your mat, to begin to become aware of that trauma Mm -hmm. and to begin to alchemize it. So, you know, so we can begin to heal and heal their children that we're gonna that we're gonna have yeah. in the next generation. For me, I, I've gotten to the point where my healing has my self healing is so vital because I think about my children. I don't have mm-hmm. them yet. I don't yeah. have kids yet. Yeah. But I'm constantly thinking about, you know, like getting to this place of ascendance and abundance and yeah. healing within my own vessel so that I can, as African Americans, as Nigerian Americans, mm-hmm. the next generation. Yeah can be they can be prepared Mm -hmm. they'll understand be able to understand wellness they'll have a spiritual relationship with themselves and sovereign spirit an emotional relationship be able to own their emotions Mm. you know and like young black young young black boys you know it's like taught like sometimes it's taught we they can't have that yeah and it's you know and like and then African-American, young African-American girls are, like, seeing certain depiction of beauty, especially growing up now. It's just yeah. so, it's not catered to them. Mm-hmm. So the more that we can educate ourselves, the more we can, you know, do that for our children. Because yes. at this point in time, I can't wait for a handout or for for the community and the government to get it right. Mm-hmm. They're in, they, I don't think they're, they're like... Their interest, their interest is their own. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and so I want to continue to educate our communities and hold healing spaces for us to become aware, so that we can heal ourselves and heal our generations. Mm-hmm. You know, it's super important and yeah, to so important. bring representation to the forefront. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, it's so needed. Yeah, I hear it. Yeah. We just got deep on y'all. We just got deep. We got deep. <laughs> That's what we're here for, though. We're here to get deep. Mm-hmm. So along those same lines, I'll lighten it up a little bit, but it'll be kind of along the same lines of inclusivity. Okay. This is kind of a two-part question. One, for those of you who may not be as familiar, not for those of you, but for those who may not be familiar with your work, um, can you share with us some of the things that you do to make your spaces feel more inclusive? Mm-hmm. And the part two of that question, because I have my own answers to this question, but I would love to hear your take as well, is I have a lot of people come up and say, so what can I do to be more inclusive? So mm. how can I, if I am, say, a white wellness professional, then what, what can I do? Well, the main thing that I did is and continue to do is whenever I rent out spaces, I rent out spaces where the brown people are. Mm-hmm. You know, there are no studios out here. I mean, 
So I go where I know the brown people are. Yeah. Like I rent out spaces. I live in the South End. I purposely rent out spaces in the South End of mm-hmm. Seattle because that's where the brown people are. Mm-hmm. I advertise in brown spaces and yes. brown owned businesses, you know, where I know that there's going to be brown people there. Same thing online. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking for um, black communities, yes. you know, because that's, that's where I want to do the most healing. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I purposely look for those spaces, you know, and I think it's important that you do that. Like, you can't, it's just, it's not enough to stick and stay where you are and not, but you want to be inclusive and you want to make a change. You have to go where those people go. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you have to be where they, where they are. And you also have to educate yourself, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I make sure to rent out spaces in the South End, where I know brown people are, I look yeah. for spaces and I advertise to brown people. Mm-hmm. You know, I make sure that I'm going to brown events. Mm-hmm. You know, but also going to different events. But I make sure that I'm I'm also making myself available yeah. in those areas. You know, to make sure the space is inclusive and drawing those people in. Mm-hmm. And collaborating with other brown business owners mm-hmm. is a huge huge thing that for me is even hard because not not for any reason i just i just can be a lot to handle when working with people (laughs) i just tend to work by myself a lot but it's been so rewarding collaborating oh gosh it's been so rewarding collaborating with other people of color who Mm -hmm. are in whatever business or field they're in yeah it's been so rewarding i've gotten so much back Mm -hmm. um i know i don't feel alone I feel heard, I feel seen. And then also, we exchange resources Mm -hmm. and tools, you know? And at the end of the day, we're we're in it for the same reason. Mm -hmm. They're trying to create the same thing, create the same spaces I'm creating. So that's been a huge part. Yes. So I'm just really kind of living, breathing inclusivity in all that I do and all the outreach that I do Mm -hmm. and and how I connect, you know? Um, So really walking it, you know? I think if um, non-POC want to really make that step or take that step, you got to go. You got to get uncomfortable and venture into those places where and invite those people in with a word of mouth, Mm -hmm. with your with your physical mouth um, and educate yourself as well from there. And then also for the community class, for the Trap Minyasa community class, which is what we started with, I always will have that community class. I purposely offer scholarship programs for that for people who are in positions that can't afford the class but want to come. Yes. So I, I so continue good. to make opportunities like that. And then also for Trap Vinyasa, we're working on creating community classes in different community centers in different south ends or mm-hmm. different urban areas yeah. throughout Washington in Tacoma and Renton, you know, just partnering with different community centers where we know in urban areas where we know a lot of POC venture to yeah. and bringing, like I'm literally bringing it to them, That's you know, amazing. as opposed to making them always have to come to you, mm-hmm. you know, like, that's what the studios feel like. You have yeah. to venture over here and come to us, mm-hmm. and then it's not never the practice doesn't ever really feel like it's meeting you where you're at. It's like you kind of fit through yeah. a bunch of hoops and things like that to fit the mold mm-hmm. to even get there. And then when you get there, you gotta like fit a little bit more emotionally. Mm-hmm to feel like you can relax. So I have to shift emotionally to feel like I can relax. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make sense, you know? And so 
just really meeting them where they're at, yeah. you know, is, is how I really focus on making it inclusive, mm-hmm. you know. And then now with the teacher training, the Trap Miyasa yes. teacher training. Tell us about the Trap Miyasa teacher training. Yes, I'm super excited. Um, the Trap Miyasa teacher training will be here in April of 2019. So if you are a 200-hour RYT certified yoga teacher and you are a teacher of color, please apply at trapvinyasa.com and that's another way that I'm really focusing on inclusion is I can't always I can't always control who the students are Mm because we do get a lot of different students Um, but I can control the who the teachers are yes and there's not really a yoga fitness movement out there where the owner is brown and the teachers are brown Mm -hmm. and so the way I'm doing it with this first cohort and Many co- like the cohorts from from now on, from now on, there's a really really specific application process to ensure that we specifically find teachers of color yeah. to teach Shravanyasa, um, to avoid the cultural appropriation, to ensure that we can keep holding space, mm-hmm. um, being mindful and inclusive for all races, genders, sizes, and ages. Yes. Um, and also so that, yeah, I just, I, I just, I want to create a business where majority of our instructors are instructors of color. I mm. see that. I want that really badly. Yeah. And that's one way that I know that the practice will stay inclusive. Mm-hmm. Because then I know that those people are going to continue to attract more inclusive spaces, mm. more inclusive individuals and yeah. things like that because they represent it. Yes. You know, and so I'm really intentionally making that decision. It was a hard decision to come to. I almost felt like, well, because, you know, I can't control who my students are, you know, and they're really diverse. And I don't want non-POC to feel like they can't come to Trap Vinyasa because I get so many. I also get so many women um, who are non-POC who come Mm -hmm. and don't ever have the opportunity to find that type of freedom in their bodies and or to have that wisdom wisdom to identify as a sensual vessel so i want to continue to encourage all people to come you know at the same time i know that i want to hold space for a wide wide, wider variety Mm -hmm. and a more global perspective Mm -hmm. a more cultural perspective Mm -hmm. and so i'm really doing that by diligently seeking teachers of color yeah i love that yeah more representation, yes. more teachers, more mm-hmm. instructors at the front of the room. Yes, to girl. make it normal. Mm-hmm. Yes, That's so good. and creating also opportunities for them to, you know, we have the Trap Vinyasa mentorship program too. Mm-hmm. Within that, where we mentor the teachers for the year, and um, I'm really looking forward to equipping them as I move more into doing a lot of like brand strategy and stuff like that. Yeah, and. Um, to help them build their businesses. Mm. Yes. You know, whether it be through Trap Vinyasa or uh, through some other avenue, but yeah. to really help them build their business with Trap Vinyasa, like, mm-hmm. a, you know, how how that's going to look like for them and becoming community leaders because mm-hmm. each teacher is, we call them a community leader and how yeah. they can begin to cultivate spaces just like how I started with the community center yes, and begin to host their own, yes. you know. Oh, and how many more people you'll be able to reach with this message. Yeah. 
having more community leaders out there yeah. is incredible. I'm yeah. already excited. It hasn't even happened yet, and I'm already I'm excited. I'm super <laughs> stoked. I'm so pumped. I'm so pumped. That's incredible. So we will link all of that information in the show notes if you're interested in applying to become a Trap Inyasa instructor. Yeah. Highly recommend. Yes. So we'll have that linked in the show notes. So I would love to get a little more personal with you. Oh, gosh. Nothing crazy. (laughs) I mean, unless you want to get, you know, unless you want to just give us all the tea you can. (laughs) I don't know if they're ready for that. (laughs) That'll be part two. Hot tea. That'll be the next episode. We'll do a part two. Um, What does self-care look like for you, Mm. especially being in such a service-oriented Role. Oh, honey, self-care was this week, honey. <laughs> when I, like, finally realized I was juggling way too many things mm-hmm. and, like, emotionally, literally deloaded to the max. Like, but self-care for me is it's always and continues to be emotional soundness. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, like, um, it's not necessarily, it can happen through a physical practice. Mm-hmm. But it's more emotional soundness and wellness for me. And more so, even beyond that, receiving that I'm a being of love. Mm -hmm. Because I think when I was really struggling with my substance abuse and like just realizing how much self-hate I had Mm -hmm. towards myself, receiving that I was a being of love was really troubling for me. Mm -hmm. And so I was always trying to read every book about how to increase your self-love or how to increase your confidence, how not to be insecure. Like, and it just always felt like just grappling straws, like more like hoarding, hoarding, hoarding. I have to do all of these things. Yeah. And it's like, how many things can I do to fill this? And then one, when my teacher, who's been my teacher for like the last 10 years, told me it's just, it's just about receiving that you're a being mm-hmm. of love. And that's once again, like one of the reasons I started studying the Divine Feminine because my receptivity, which is characterized yeah. by the divine feminine, the divine feminine is just characterized by receptivity. I could not be receptive of that. Like mm. everything, I just was so used to identifying with my depression and self-hate. And mm. like I said, I had earned it. Yeah, it was probably comfortable. Yeah, it was super comfortable. I just did not want to let it go. Even It's just what I knew. And so stripping away from that was super hard to be receptive mm. of receiving that I was a being of love and that was my ultimate self-care yeah because then yeah it wasn't a matter of like needing validation from someone for it like or having to do like I grew up always being a people pleaser Mm -hmm. so you always feel like you have to do a certain number of tasks to earn someone's love Mm -hmm. and so it it no longer became a measure of activities Mm -hmm. it just became a matter of receiving Mm -hmm. and so that's where my self-care practice is today yeah and everything else is an extension of that yes from that belief so you got i think you got to really get the belief that you are being of love first and then every let every external activity be an extension of that you know but it's the root first of just receiving that you're a being of love yeah and so from there, I mean, I love going to the spa. <laughs> My little sister has the hookup because she works at Lady Wells. Oh. And so I love going there. <laughs> Emotional wellness. So I always, one of the recent things that I've done that's been super huge for me that I love is um, I read something about you give up your sovereign power in the morning if you just run to your phone. Mm. 
And I never heard about it like that. Sovereign power, because Mm. it's training us to respond instead of reflect. Yes. And so something that I've really diligently been doing is when I wake up in the morning, I don't run to my phone. I usually give myself an hour. Yeah. I'll chug water, and then I'll usually either I'll read something inspirational. Like I'll I go to the library a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to go to the library a lot again, and so I'll read something, maybe a chapter. You know, or I just kind of sit in silence. And I'm a very slow morning person. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like loud noises in the morning. Yeah. I don't like I don't like music in the morning. Like, I'm not like, oh, let me turn on some Beyonce. Like, <laughs> no, I like complete yeah. silence yeah. in the morning. Like, no sound. Or I'll just sit in silence. And then from there, I'll slowly move into, like, gravitating to my phone. And also in the evenings, like, I've always been a night owl because my parents just were always night owls Mm -hmm. like they worked late hours so they just they'd be up all night Mm -hmm. or yeah they work at nighttime so they'd be up at night and so like me and my sisters were always just like that we'd stay up till 3 a.m and it was nothing Mm -hmm. and as I've gotten older I've it's actually a practice of self-love for me to like turn off my TV, mm. turn off my phone, close my laptop around 10.30. And as a business owner, I'm really just say, I'm going to stop working. Oh, that's hard. Yeah, because for... No, and it's only been the last few months for yeah. me. It's so new. Probably the last month. Mm-hmm. I mean, only the last month. <laughs> it's so, so new. But I knew that I wanted to begin getting up early and have the time to get up early and slow because when I get up last minute because I'm so tired then I immediately rush to my phone Mm -hmm. because I have to I have to post you know and things like that so I knew I wanted to get up early so I had time to Mm -hmm. get up slow and I also really wanted to give myself time to decompress in the evening and just turn off my laptop because also like having Nigerian parents you just learn that you just work, work, work. Mm-hmm. And you just like, and I was so used to busying myself with so much busy work that yeah. didn't even make sense. That wasn't really even efficient. Mm-hmm. But just so I can say I did something. Mm-hmm. And so I just cut the work. Yeah. And now I just like, I might give myself a to do list of like maybe one to three things. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's one big project yep. in there and then two small things. Yeah. And I keep it simple. And then I really try to take my time, giving myself maybe four hours a day to work mm-hmm. before I was just working all day. Yeah. And one of the things I craved when I was at Zoo Lily was like, I wonder what people do mm-hmm. around one o'clock or, <laughs> or noon. When, when your they, time is yours. Yeah, when you don't have a corporate job. Yeah. Like, I wonder what they do. And then the years after... I'm I'm working for myself yeah. and I'm working at one o'clock, two o'clock. Like my friend who who's an artist who she actually painted that picture, she was just like, um, let's go have lunch or take a walk and I'm like, No, I can't I have to work and like I thought I said I wanted to have that time to like do take a yeah. coffee break yeah. or take a walk. And so like I will give myself four hours to work, mm-hmm. like a four hour day and really be engaged yeah. during that time. Fully yeah. engaged. Sometimes it might be five. Yeah fully engaged and then in the evening if there's something I really want to just keep working on I might but I've really let, allow myself to like stop around 10 30 11 and mm-hmm. just like read 
maybe watch a little Sex and the City, mm-hmm. which is like my favorite show. It's a great I just show. watch reruns over and over oh, yeah. and over it never again. Gets old. And then I'll just go to bed. Yeah. And I'll slowly wake up around seven and start my day around eight. Yeah. You know? And that has been a huge practice of self care. Also because it's teaching me to trust the process yeah. that I have succeeded. I mm. think before I was just like, I can't stop because mm. I haven't succeeded yet. Yeah. I can't stop. Like I have to keep like a machine mm-hmm. and like I was just getting so tired. Yeah. And I've lo- I experienced some level of success. Yes, I want more yeah. or broader, more expansive areas of success yeah. and starting to trust that what I was doing was enough yes. because it was fully engaged and, and fully intentional and just fully drawn in mm-hmm. so it would be enough yeah. more than enough and yeah. then like giving myself the time to like rest yes. <laughs> was huge yeah you know so that has been a huge shift yeah for me and That's just huge. in the last month yeah i've really done that you know and that was hard yeah, <laughs> but that is huge, and I think that that's so relatable because mm-hmm. for so many women, I think especially for women of color, when we have that superwoman syndrome yes. where we think we have to prove ourselves so much oh more and gosh. so much harder than everyone else, right? Mm-hmm. What is the you have to be twice as good to get half as much? Yeah. You, you know just don't stop. that mentality of like go go go. Mm-hmm. But when you're able to set up those boundaries and be truly engaged when you're on, but take time off is mm-hmm. really powerful. Yeah, and I understand. Like, y'all, this is only a month of like this being <laughs> so. It's a new normal. I was just like, man, like I can't stop, yeah. and it was just like a workhorse, mm-hmm. and it was incessant, and. It was a pining. Yeah. It created like this. I mean, if you look at the definition of pining, it's like deep longing, yeah. you know, like pining for some level of success, mm-hmm. like every single day that, I mean, like it would just make me so sad, yeah. I, you know, like, yeah. and um, it was really difficult, you know, I don't want to get emotional now, but it was just like my soul suffering Mm. every day for years you know and I was just like when I finally was like you're gonna do this okay you're gonna do this relax okay Mm -hmm. you're doing it it is enough yeah you are enough yes it is enough yes you know and that's been such a release Mm -hmm. for me yeah I mean you're just like lighter you have mm-hmm. a way lighter energy yeah which is wonderful because i was like everyone who would see me they'd be like oh gosh even maggie she was like she got the worst of it my oh. my intern yeah. oh my god my poor <laughs> intern oh my god because i would just take it out on oh. her poor thing yeah. and um she was even like you de- you definitely just seem so much lighter mm-hmm. so much nicer too like <laughs> oh such a bitch <laughs> that happens to the best of us. you're human <laughs> oh man I love it. okay we have one more question okay what does being a balanced black girl mean to you mm. being a balanced oh, huh. why did I just stutter saying 
Being a balanced black girl to me means I just want to say fucking living my best life, man. Yeah. Yeah. And um, taking ownership of my wellness. Mm. Not waiting mm-hmm. for someone else to dictate it for me. Yeah. Like really taking ownership of my wellness mm-hmm. in all the areas, socially, mm-hmm. relationally, mentally, spiritually, physically, yeah. financially, like just taking ownership yes. and also being receptive. Mm-hmm. Really, huge. really letting go of the resistance because, you know, as as brown women, we got to fight mm-hmm. a lot. And then when we can begin to be receptive, we don't have to fight. Yep. We can just stand in that power and it's so silent but still mm-hmm. so strong, you know, without yes. it having to be like an external resistance where it's just like being receptive, yeah. you know, is, is that balanced black girl life. That's so good. Mm-hmm. Being receptive is living your best life. Yes, yo. That's amazing. All right, Abiala, where can our audience find you? Where can they keep in touch with you? You guys can find me at on Instagram at Yoga by Biala. That's Y O G A B B I O L A. Almost forgot to spell my name. And you can also find me at Yoga by com on YouTube at Yoga by Biala. If you want to come practice with the Trap Vinyasa crew, you can find us on Instagram at Trap Vinyasa. That's T-R-A-P-V-I-N-Y-A-S-A. And you can also head to trapvinyasa.com to get our schedule, our studio schedule, and our weekly community class schedule to learn more about our retreats, to learn about our teacher training program. All that good good is available for you there. So much good stuff. And we will have all of that linked in the show notes because I know you want all of it. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Les. So good. Oh, bye, y'all. Bye. <laughs>